What's going on, people? It's your boy, Kalechi, back with another episode of the Ramblin' Mind Podcast. How are each and every single one of y'all doing today? I hope y'all are staying safe. I hope y'all are taking care of yourselves. But let's get right into business today. We got a lot, a lot, a lot to cover. We're going to talk a little bit about the jobs report that came out last week and just what that indicates for the economy as a whole. We're going to talk a little bit about what the big seven world economy, uh, world country economies that just did, what they just announced. That's pretty big deal. And we'll talk more about that. And we'll talk about Bitcoin and some of the things that are happening in the Bitcoin space that I think everybody should take pay attention to. We'll talk about Apple's WWDC event that happened on Monday. Actually, it's a week-long event, but the main keynote happened on Monday. We'll talk about a few things from there because your boy is a tech head. And then we'll close out with some extra stuff that I think is pretty interesting to talk about that I saw on the internet. I just find that it's really interesting. But anyway, we start off with this. We start off with a news report that was dropped yesterday, actually, that was dropped on Tuesday. Yesterday is the day before I'm making this podcast. I make the podcast on Wednesday. You guys hear it on Thursday. Don't know why I need to say that. But anyway, this news report was dropped on Tuesday morning and everybody was flipping out on the interwebs. And basically, the news report was from ProPublica, who announced, they said, the secret IRS files. Trove of never-before-seen records reveal how the wealthiest avoid income tax, which is something that everybody has known happens, but this detail was like, whoa, this is massive stuff. But then there's some stuff that they added in there that I was like, okay, like, y'all going extra. But anyway, let's just go into the details of this thing, and I'll just read out some excerpts of it, and then I'll talk about some of the things that they said in there that kind of rubbed me, that kind of was like, ah, Man, I wish they wouldn't do that, but you know, whatever. So let's just get into it. So ProPublica has obtained a vast trove of internal revenue service data on the tax returns of thousands of the nation's wealthiest people, covering more than 15 years. The data provides an unprecedented look into inside the financial lives of Americans' titans, including Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Rupert, Rupert Murdoch, and Mark Zuckerberg. It shows not just their income taxes, but also their investments, stock trades, gambling wins, and even the results of audits. Taken together, it demolishes the cornerstone myth of the American tax system that everyone pays their fair share and the richest Americans pay the most. The IRS records show that the wealthiest can perfectly legally pay income taxes that are only a tiny fraction of their hundreds of millions, if not billions. Their fortunes grow each year. Many Americans live paycheck to paycheck, amassing little wealth and paying their federal government a percentage of their income that rises if they earn more. In recent years, the median American household earned about $70,000 annually and paid 14% in federal taxes. The highest income tax rate, 37%, kicked in this year for couples on earnings above $628,300. The confidential tax record obtained by ProPublica shows that the ultra-rich effectively sidestep this business, this system. Americans billionaires avail themselves of tax avoidance strategies beyond the reach of ordinary people. Their wealth derives from the skyrocketing value of their assets like stock and properties, which is a key point, which is a very key point to keep in mind when we get into this. Those gains are not defined by the U.S. laws as taxable income unless and until the billionaires sell. 
to capture the financial reality of the richest Americas, Americans, ProPublica undertook an analysis that has never been done before. We compared how much in taxes the 25 richest Americans paid each year to how much Forbes estimated their wealth grew in the same time period. We're calling it their true tax rate. And automatically, this document or this article just lost me. And I was like, what y'all trying to do? Like, whenever I start seeing articles like this and whenever they start repeating this whole idea of us versus them, I just start to lose interest in anything like that. But anyway, the results they came to said the results are stark. According to Forbes, these 25 people saw their worth rise a collective $401 billion from 2014 to 2018. They paid a total of $13.6 billion in federal income taxes in those five years. The IRS data shows that's a staggering sum, but it amounts to a true tax rate of only 3.4%. And then they compare it to a middle-class family. They say in a completely different picture for middle-class Americans, for example, wage earners in their early 40s who have amassed a, a typical amount of wealth for people their age from 2014 to 2018, such households saw their net worth expand by about $65,000 after taxes on average, mostly due to the rise in value of their homes. But, be but because the vast bulk of their earnings were salaries, their tax bills were almost as much, nearly $62,000 over the five-year period. And then they have a graph that shows like each individual. They have a little graph and table that shows like Warren Buffett. And, and this is where they basically lost me. They said Warren Buffett only played about 0.1% in taxes. They said Jeff, Be Jeff Bezos only paid 0.98% in taxes. Michael Bloomberg only paid 1.3% in taxes. Elon Musk only paid 3.27% in taxes. And this just basically lost me. At this point, I kind of got lost. I was just kind of like, this is a problem. This is a problem of what we need to understand. There are two numbers that we need to understand whenever it comes to taxes and whenever it comes to people and their wealth. One is wealth and the other number is income. The government cannot tax wealth. It is extremely difficult to tax wealth. However, the government can tax your income. However, the way the tax system here in the United States is built, it is built in a manner where people can take advantage of tax loopholes, which I'm not going to lie. I take advantage of these loopholes, even though it's on a much, 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 much smaller scale. I still take advantage of these loopholes. I started trying to take advantage of it this year when I got an actual tax accountant to be like, yo, how about looking over my stuff so I make sure I'm not missing out any of these credits or any of these uh, write-offs that I can have and just making sure that everything is in the right way. Because I mean, when you do, whether it's a solo proprietorship where you like get any kind of 1099, there are certain tax codes that you can get benefits from because you are adding to the economy. You are helping expand the economy. And because the government wants you to spend your money in the economy and wants you to help grow the economy, the government is going to incentivize these things by giving, uh, by giving tax credits or even giving you ab abilities to have write-offs. I mean, even for going back to school, there is tax credits. I was able to get like a good amount of money off of my taxes because I went back to school last year and I was able to get like, I think it was like $1,000 or so back just because I went back to school and I did higher education. So there are certain tax credits and certain write-offs that you can do. For example, my cell phone that I use for work, that I use whenever I ref soccer games, I get to write off depreciation on this cell phone. 
Why? Because I use it for business purposes. You can do those kind of things. Now, should the rich not be, should be paying so little in taxes? No, they should definitely not be able to get through all these kind of loopholes. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, one thing I agree with the article is the fact that, oh my gosh, they get out of a lot of stuff. Like their tax rate is so much lower. Like when I looked at uh, Warren Buffett, for example, who's like one of my favorite people, and he's been saying it for years that the rich need to be paying more taxes, but he's not dumb enough to be like, yo, the rich need to pay more taxes. So I'm going to be paying more than I need to pay in taxes. No, 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 no. That's not wise. That's not wisdom. Just because you think something should change doesn't mean that you should be the one to come and bear the brunt of it. No, you take advantage of the system that is in place. But anyway, for years, he's been saying that we need to increase the taxes, especially for those in the higher income. But regardless, when you look at his actual tax rate, he paid a total of $23.7 million in taxes from 2014 to 2018. However, total income, he reported $125 million. That comes out to about a tax rate of about 19%, which is right around what I pay in taxes, which is just like, what? Like, how is he paying the same amount in taxes, even though he's making buku loads of way more money than I am, but he's just taking advantage of the tax system. However, his wealth in that same time period grew by about $24.3 billion. But I think the main thing is we need to start distinguishing wealth from income. Like these are two very distinct and different things. However, right now, what this article has done and what most people start to do with their hashtag eat the rich stuff is they just look at, oh, Jeff Bezos is worth 180 something billion dollars. How can he only pay 400 and, or how much did he pay? He paid $973 million in taxes. How is he able to do that? Why should he be able to go, get away with that? Because his actual reported income, which is what you report when you fill out your taxes, it was only $4 billion. Now, should it be closer to about $1 billion rather than 973? Maybe that's a discussion that we can have where we can say, okay, some of these tax loopholes should maybe be eliminated. But at the same time, for the United States, for the system we have here in the United States, it is designed so that businesses, so that people can take advantage of the taxes, so that you can have certain write-offs, so that the economy can keep growing, so that people are incentivized to invest their money in the economy, so that people are incentivized to give their money to businesses to continue to grow. Because the one thing you have to learn is usually the people who are the wealthiest are also the stingiest with their money most of the time. A lot of them are now just going to spend money on a lot of things. However, if you incentivize and say, hey, if you spend your money on something random just to put back something into the economy, we will give you a tax write-off. They're going to do it. And that's how they've been able to do a lot of this. And the thing you have to think about is this is not illegal. A lot of people think that, oh my gosh, they're avoiding all these taxes. This is illegal. No, 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 no. This is perfectly legal. These are things that are put into the tax code to ensure that people can invest, can can get some write-offs for doing some kind of business venture, or maybe you're just delivering for DoorDash. Did you know that if you're delivering for DoorDash, you should be doing your taxes and getting write-offs on your cars, getting write-offs on you getting oil changes, getting write-offs on you buying gas, getting all kinds of write-offs if you do like something like DoorDash. If you buy shoes for your work, you should be getting write-offs for those shoes. If you buy anything for work or for anything like that, you should get some kind of write-offs. You should find ways if you're doing some kind of side hustle where you get paid for that side hustle, 
one of the things, if you're babysitting and you incorporate your babysitting or you make an LLC for your babysitting stuff, you can get write-offs for driving to the babysitters. You can get write-off for using your phone to show the baby videos to watch on YouTube. You can get write-off for using a Netflix subscription that you have for the kids. Stuff like that, you can get write-offs on it. But my main point is, I just want us to get out of this mindset of just being like, oh, these people made this much money. They should be paying way much more in taxes or rather these people's wealth grew by so much. My argument, whenever it comes to these kind of things, my point that I like to bring up is, so if we say that, yes, they should pay more of their assets because their assets grew so much, they should be paying taxes on those assets. The other question I have to ask you is if the asset falls the next year, should they get the money back from paying all those taxes? Because you have to think about it that way. It's a slippery slope. The problem that most of us don't think about is that it's not just one person who gets affected by this. It's everyone who gets who's going to get affected by it. Is my parents now, because their house is worth more, should they have to pay taxes on their house value because their house value grew a certain percentage? No, that doesn't make any sense because they haven't sold the house. They shouldn't have to pay some kind of exorbitant amount of taxes on something that they haven't sold off yet. So we have to be careful whenever we start going down this rabbit hole of saying stuff like, oh, the rich should pay more taxes on their assets rather than on their income. Now, should they be able to write off as much as they can write off and have all these loopholes where they send their money through all these different things to make sure that they don't pay as much in taxes and all this other stuff that they do? No, that's a different discussion. However, when the discussion is just focused on them paying more because of their wealth grew a certain amount, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I think we need to really think about it in a different way. I think we really need to stop looking at it as we need to take away from these certain people so that we can have for everybody else. I don't think that if we just took like half of everything that these guys have and gave it to other people that that's going to make the wealth inequality issue go away. I don't think so. I think we need to find other ways to bridge that gap. We need to find other ways to get people to have more um, assets for people to be able to build wealth, whether it's through things like if a baby is born, a thousand dollars in equity is given of U.S. companies so that they have a piece of the wealth being generated by U.S. corporations. Or maybe we help people when they lose their jobs, like we finally did last year. Like maybe we don't just do bailout for large corporations, but we actually help people who are losing their jobs whenever we go through a recession through no fault of their own. Things like that. That's probably what we should be trying to do more than trying to take away from all the other wealthy people. Because if we're being honest, if we're being completely and totally honest, as much as people may hate Bezos, may hate Elon Musk, may hate Warren Buffett, may hate uh, Michael Bloomberg or any of these folks, the fact is, if you're completely being honest, these guys have generated a lot of not just wealth, but also income for a large population. I mean, if we just take Amazon, for example, Amazon has created over 1 million jobs, 1 million jobs from one company. I mean, if you look at Warren Buffett's from the various businesses that Warren Buffett's company, uh, Berkshire Hathaway owns, they created over 500,000 jobs, a bunch of different jobs from this business. And plus, not to talk of all the shareholders, myself included, who has benefited from investing in these businesses. And there have been so many people that have become millionaires just because they invested in these businesses. So we can't just be like, oh, these guys, they're just so evil. They create and take all these things for themselves. No, they have created wealth and income for so many people in so many different ways. So we have to put that into perspective as well. We can't just look at one side of the coin. We have to look at both sides of the coin. Now, do I say again, I'll go back to this. 
Do I say that? Should they be paying higher taxes? Probably. Do we need to find ways to make that happen? Probably. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we should be like, oh yeah, we just need to start taxing the wealth side of things because then we go down a huge slippery slope. And that's a whole different argument, a whole different problem. <sighs> but anyway, I cannot believe that these guys just made me defend these guys. Like, why are you making me defend billionaires? I don't want to defend billionaires. They're billionaires. They don't need my defense. They don't need me to defend them. But this article is just, ah, oh, it just makes me so annoyed because I don't want to be defending these guys because they make enough money. They'll be fine regardless. And you're, you're making me defend these folks, man. Ah. Oh making me defend these guys oh the other thing to think about is like people like warren buffett has already pledged that when he passes away all of his wealth not like 0.1 no all of his wealth is going to be given away and then for people like michael bloomberg about 75 percent of his wealth is being regularly given to charities already so just a couple of other things to think about i'm just saying we really need to start looking on both sides of the equation and not just one side of the equation but anyway moving on from there Last week, we got the job numbers for the month of May, and it was okay, but not the best. It was like, eh, this is all right. I mean, it's not real, but it's all right. We added about 599,000 jobs, but the expectation was to add about 675,000 jobs in the month of May. So we are still lagging the expectations of where jobs should be right now. The U.S. economy is still about 7.6 million jobs short of where it was pre-pandemic from February 2020. The leisure and hospitality uh, industry, however, continues to add jobs in droves as people continue to go out of their houses and start living life normally. It added about 292,000 jobs in May, which is almost half of all the jobs that were added in the May period. Remember, in April, the industry also added over 328,000 jobs. This is great news because the U.S. is a consumer economy. We talk about all the time where two-thirds of the GDP of the United States comes from uh, people spending money in the economy, comes from consumers spending money in the economies. That's from things like consumers traveling, consumers spending money at concerts, uh, restaurants, and all those kind of things. This is generally a great sign of the, econ of the recovery ahead. However, we are still about 2 million jobs short in the leisure and hospitality pre-pandemic uh, levels of where we were, or rather, we're still 2 million jobs short in the industry from pre-pandemic levels. So it's not time for us to kind of kick our feet up and just relax and say that, you know what, everything is good and we don't have to worry about anything else. However, there was one weird number that I saw when I was going through the, the jobs report. Even as housing has continued to boom in the last year, construction jobs are not recovering at the same rate as the prices of homes are increasing. As a matter of fact, the industry actually lost jobs in the month of May. Construction lost about 20,000 jobs, but this was mainly in the non-residential sector, showing just how much commodity prices are affecting just about everything. Other good news is that as students are returning back to the classrooms and are now going back to other things, education and healthcare added about 87,000 jobs in the month of May. Key things to note about the job reports. For as much as people may be saying that the economy is getting overheated, the job report shows that that is not the case. Rather, we are seeing a gradual recovery, which was expected to take place. Former Chase chief economist Anthony Chan told Yahoo Finance, with regard to the reason why the market is excited, it's because that it's telling us 
that the economy is not blistering hot, that it's actually going to be opening up pretty gradually. I think that's important. One thing that I am keeping an eye on is the hourly wage. Is it going up? Because that will tell us how much employers are competing for workers. Workers in the leisure and hospitality industry, which is typically the lowest wage earners, saw their pay rise an average of $18 uh, to the highest level that it has ever been. This was about a 3% growth in wages from the month prior. To me, this is a good news. I don't mind companies competing for talent. I don't mind companies competing for people to get paid a little bit more because for a long time, we have not seen wage growth increase. We have not seen wage inflation. We've been seeing a lot of other kinds of inflation. We've seen asset class inflation. We've seen property inflation, but we haven't seen wage growth inflation in a while. And now finally, we're starting to see a trickle effect. We're starting to see because of the the monetary and fiscal policy that were put into place, companies are having to fight over workers. And because the demand came back a lot faster than most people expected, companies are trying as quickly as possible to get workers that they need to come on staff. Now, moving on from there, let's talk about, you know what? Actually, there's one thing I want to rant about real quick. Just a slight rant. It's a little rant about inflation because I keep hearing people talk about hyperinflation that we have to be careful that we're going to have hyperinflation. We're going to see hyperinflation. We're going to see hyperinflation. So let me bring some reality to the situation. When we compare prices in the last 12 to 18 months, I feel like most people are cherry picking data because this same time last year, we were in full lockdown mode. As a matter of fact, I was looking through my pictures on my uh, Google Photos and I saw on there where it was just like every one of my pictures was basically me taking walks because all the pictures were just me taking walks because all that was happening last year was all I could do was wake up from my bed and go to my desks to work because everybody was on lockdown. Meaning the only things that were in demand last year was toilet paper, Germex, Lysol, and DoorDash. Those were the things that were in high demand last year. People were not traveling. People were not going to restaurants. People were not doing anything. We're not going to concerts. The sports were shut down for a while. So a lot of things were just done. There was no, just no demand for a lot of things that usually we have high demand for. And as anybody knows, when it comes to econo economics, economics, supply and demand determines the price of everything. And when demand completely obliterates, it means that prices completely fall off a cliff because supply was way more than needed to be and demand was not anywhere. As a matter of fact, I can't, I don't know if you guys remember, but last year we saw oil going to negative territory. Yes, oil was actually, they were paying people to come take oil from different companies because that's how bad it was last year because there was literally no demand. I can't even remember at one point last year, I went to buy gas just to fill up my tank and my, I have a 15 gallon, gallon tank and it cost me about $15. $15 to fill up my entire tank. That's how cheap gas was last year. And so the fact that everybody is not freaking out that, oh my gosh, we haven't seen this much price increase in over 10 years. We haven't seen price jump this much in 10 years. Well, yeah, no duh. When prices was basically almost zero last year, of course, we're going to see price increase off of that level coming back to where it needs to be, where prices should have been if everything was just running at a regular rate, if the economy was never shut down completely last year, where everything is going at an incredible rate. 
Also, the other thing people need to remember is there's a lot of people that saved a lot of money last year. A lot of people just saved a bunch of money last year because they couldn't spend it as they wanted to spend it last year. And so this year, a lot of people are like, yo, I've been cooped up in my house for a while. I'm about to spend this money on travel. Exhibit A is my sister who was like, yo, I've been staying home for the last year, not been able to go anywhere. She saved a bunch of money because she couldn't travel. Guess what she's doing this year? Yep, that's right. She's traveling and she's willing to pay those prices to ensure that she can travel. And so it's for us to realize that we're going to see a price spike in the short term, but I believe everything will normalize in the long run. I don't think that we're going to see any kind of hyperinflation. Now, should the Fed relax a little bit with just continually buying this $120 billion in bonds? Yes, I think they need to relax. Doesn't mean that they need to go touch the interest rate, but I think they need to start like tapering off some of their easy money policy. But I just don't think that we're going to see some unbelievable hyperinflation take place in the next couple of years. All right, that's just my take, my hot take for the week. That's just me and what I think. You guys, let me know what you think. Hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on Facebook. Hit Not Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you think. Are we going to see hyperinflation? Because I don't think we're going to see hyperinflation. Man, I spent a whole lot of time on that first topic and we're running out of time very quickly here. And one other thing, speaking of taxes, even though we just did a massive deep dive into taxes, over the weekend, the big seven of world economics had some tea and discussed what they wanted to do about taxes. The G7, which includes Canada, Germany, France, UK, Japan, US, and Italy, announced an agreement for a global minimum tax of 15% for all multinational companies. Backstory. Companies have found ways to, just like we were talking about a second ago, where the uber wealthy have so many different ways where they can evade taxes. Large corporations have found multiple ways where they can evade taxes by setting up shell corporations and funneling monies to nations with much lower taxes. The wealthiest nations, the wealthiest nations in the world do not like this because they want to get some of those dollars. However, this announcement on the sounds great on the surface that, hey, all of these countries are agreeing to have a minimum tax, which means that everybody's going to be on the same page and everybody's going to be able to get the, the money and all this stuff. But when you dive deeper into it, they still have to get an agreement from over 150 different countries, especially countries like Ireland, which has been tax havens for major corporations like Apple, Facebook, or Microsoft, because they have had a corporate tax of about 12.5%. It's going to be extremely hard to confuse, convince these nations who get a majority of their tax revenue from being a tax haven to change their, their uh to change on the behalf on the behalf of much wealthier nations. My say is the more important factor is not about the percentage of taxes that is the problem. The problem is the loopholes. We always got to go back to the loopholes. It's not about the percent that companies have to pay, but rather the loopholes that were created and put into place for these companies. And as long as those loopholes remain in place, these companies will always find ways because they're going to always hire the best accountants, just like we found out. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, they got the best accountants. They pay like next to nothing because they have the best accountants to play with all these loopholes. So... It's the same way with businesses. They got the best accountants. They're always going to find a way to pay the least amount they can in taxes to ensure that they can keep investing back in the business. So that's just something to tip in mind. Moving on from there, let's talk about Bitcoin and El Salvador. 
On Saturday, El Salvador's president said he was sending a bill, which actually the bill just got passed this morning, making it the first bill, uh, a bill to to the legislature of the country to make Bitcoin the legal tender for the country. And that bill actually got passed this morning. This morning. This makes El Salvador the first nation to use Bitcoin as an actual currency. Now, a few stats to know why this is somewhat important for El Salvador. Only about 20% of the people in the country is actually using like actual financial institution and are actually banked. And about 20% of the GDP of the country comes from remittance, which is where people send their money from outside of a country back to their home country. People outside of their home country in what we like to call the diaspora send their money back to their home country, to their family and to people to be able to help them in that whole country. Bitcoin makes cross-border transactions much easier, cheaper, and faster, showing that the feasibility of Bitcoin or any car- cryptocurrency is not necessarily for the wealthier nation, but it's actually with, uh, with for the wealthier nations with strong central banks, but rather it's for countries that don't control their own currency and have a whole lot of issues with inflation, typically, uh, and don't have easy access to the typical banking system of the world and we'll we'll skip all the apple stuff that i was going to rant and rave about basically apple had wwdc and they just showed off a bunch of new things well new i put new in quote unquote because none of the things that they showed off was necessarily new by itself it's a lot of features that has been on a bunch of other platforms for a long time however they put their little apple magic on it where everything just works fluidly with one another which is what apple does and i think the biggest thing that i took from the wwdc effect was not about them talking about new features but it was a subtle drop that they did during the developers again key word developers conference and they dropped that they have paid developers over 230 billion dollars through their app store this was important because as we all know apple is in a legal fight against epic and which just wrapped up last week so they're doing everything to show that hey we're actually for the developers we actually want to work with people and they're and they're like we're not really a monopoly we actually try to help people make money so that's just a little caveat that i saw during the presentation and i was like apple always trying to play on something they're always trying to do something special but anyway let's finish up with a few extra special things that i saw the first thing that i saw again talking about jeff bezos so many topics about rich and famous people Jeff Bezos is living his best life. He just announced that he will be on the first human test flight for Blue Origins spaceship. So, you know, he's going to also have his brother on the flight as well. So, yeah, Jeff Bezos, he's like, I'm no longer the CEO of Amazon. I'm about to live my very best life and do all of the things that I have not been able to do for the longest time. So that's just one thing to think about. Also, I keep saying... Remember I referred a second ago to the easy money policy and there's so much money just in the system. There's just so much money in the system. Here's case in point about the fact that there's a lot of money in the system right now. An invisible sculpture sold for $18,300. An invisible sculpture sold for $18,300. And invisible... An invisible sculpture sold for $18,300. The sculptor Salvatore Garou said, it is a work that asks you to activate the power of your imagination. 
Man, there's too much easy money in the system right now. Like, my God, like what? Who needs $18,000 to activate their imagination? I mean, I just activate my imagination every time I sit on my bed and just, you know, look up at the sky. My imagination just gets going. I don't need to spend $18,000 to activate that thing. Man, rich people, if y'all don't know what to do with your money, like, just share it with us. Like, you know, just either, you know, maybe help people with food or solve some clothing crisis or sheltering crisis. Or, you know, just donate it to my housing fund. Like, my housing fund can take this $18,000. But if, I mean, what? $18,000 to activate your imagination? My God, like, there's too much money in the system right now. There's, there's too much money in the system. But anyway, that's all I got for y'all this week. Let me know what you thought about the podcast. Leave a review if you got a second, maybe two seconds. And share this podcast with one person that you love, one person that you hate, and one person that you just kind of like, eh about and by that time you just shared with every single person that you know but i'm gonna catch y'all up on the next one remember generosity is always greater than greed god bless each and every single one of y'all and i'm out ace